0: Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we take a look at the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, is my man who watched these movies so long ago, he doesn't remember the plots. It's Palmer.
1: How are you today? Hold on, I'm not ready.
0: (laughs) You just said you were ready. Right before we started, you said you were ready. You said I'm always ready. I knew it was a lie, but I went for it anyway.
1: (laughs) I'm sick of your negative attitude.
0: Yeah, well, what are you going to do about it? Um, Palmer. um, Yes. This podcast is supposed to be fortnightly. This season has not been. Um, I blame you. It it is my fault I I think actually. So um, (laughs) I I watched all of these movies from 1942 while I had COVID and that was uh, over a month ago now. So how well my memory serves of them is going to be purely based on uh, the little write-ups that I have because fortunately I took note but I was also (laughs) um, delirious with fever so we're going to see how this goes Um, but uh, yeah. Um, Do you know what one Best Picture?
1: I mean, do you even know what movies they were?
0: Yes, I do know what movies there are um Sergeant York Suspicion Hold Back the Dawn Here Comes Miss Jordan Citizen Kane How Green Was My Valley The Little Foxes The Maltese Falcon One Foot in Heaven and Blossoms in the Dust Do you remember what one best picture?
1: Oh it was How Green Was My Valley
0: It was How Green Was My Valley and to answer it it was pretty gray It was It was was a gray valley Wow Not a lot of gray Even
1: even when you were listing the movies I don't remember half the titles Isn't
0: that wild? I know but actually I do seem to remember the most of like which uh, Uh, ...each movie is, like, so that's good. So, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning and start with Sergeant York, directed by Howard Hawks, written by Avon Finkel, Harry Chandley, Howard Coate, and John Huston. Starring Gary Cooper, Walter Brennan, and Joan Leslie, nominated for Best Picture, supporting actor for Brennan, supporting actress for Witchley, uh, director, writer, cinematography, black-and-white film, art director for black-and-white film, sound, and music. This movie won Best Acting for Cooper and Best Editing for Hulse. Uh, The plot is about a Tennessee farmer... uh, and marksman who's drafted into World War 1 who struggles with being with uh who struggles with his pacifist inclinations in becoming one of the most celebrated war heroes based vaguely on a true story if real life worked like propaganda film um i think i think for the uh for the movie that it was like what it was supposed to be mm-hmm. it was okay it was pretty good like i understood what like it was so obviously like war is good grab a gun go kill nuts. we will use World War 1 to tell you that um like we don't care about your pacifist Um, it was a less good version of Hacksaw Ridge Um, Uh, definitely yeah Um, maybe because the uh, like he's like I'm a pacifist but you're good at it okay then never mind
1: (laughs) like I I refuse to shoot people you know who shot people Daniel Boone you know what I never thought of that
0: literally though they're like you know this book here that we have about the American South where you're from you know there's an (laughs) old man in here called Daniel Boone you may never have heard of him he's not that famous he He shot people too.
1: Yeah. Whether or not he should have is also another is up for debate.
0: Correct. <laughs> um, so I think in the modern context it does not really work. There are like Hacksaw Ridge is a better version of basically the oh, same story. Oh, much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, but without like it's a pretty decent I for me I think it's a decent snapshot of the 19 early 40s mindset as mm. opposed to like what the film actually is. So like historically or contextually I really I enjoyed it as a movie itself I'd be like watch it if you want don't watch it if you want whatever Uh,
1: I mean yeah Gary Cooper's good and all I think my biggest issue with this is it tries to cram a little bit too much in because he's a 'er ne'er-do-well who finds religion Mm -hmm. and because he finds religion he becomes a pacifist because when he's a 'er ne'er-do-well he's all shooting around stuff right and he finds religion so he's like no that's not the right thing to do and then goes off you know he Gets drafted into war. He doesn't voluntarily sign up like in Hacksaw Ridge and he was not gonna he wasn't gonna show up but his pastor's like no you need to show up you need to show up
0: because war is good no
1: because his pastor was like you know it's it's your duty yeah it's your duty but you'll be fine because you you know you're religious so they're going to give you a pass and then he gets into the army and they're like you know who was also a human who might have had religion daniel booth and so it was that like quick kind of transformation from one to the other to back that is a little bit too much for me to take in. In this movie. I
0: agree. Well, I think, to be fair, there was like 10 seconds that he sat under a tree at sunset thinking about it as
1: well. And that well, is... that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. yeah, it was it was way too fast. I know. That's and, a, it was a joke, Paul. And man. if that's I get, joke. if this movie is him finding religion and becoming, you know, a good person that we get like halfway through, well, actually more than halfway through before he goes off to do the army stuff, mm-hmm. that's a good movie. If you want to just do the army stuff, that might be a good movie as well, not necessarily my cup of tea, but to it. This feels like they crammed them, crammed them both together. Yeah, I agree.
0: Um, I absolutely agree. Visual effects were pretty decent, though, right?
1: Yeah, I fully believe those people were never gonna breathe again.
0: No, they definitely were not. Yeah, absolutely were not. Um, so it's it's a movie. It's a yeah. movie that you can see in the form of Hacksaw Ridge and enjoy it much more. That's all I'm mm-hmm. saying. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, any fun facts for us? Yes.
1: When this film was being made, American public Opinion was strongly was strongly isolationist, and Warner Brothers initially worried that it would be condemned for being seen as too pro-war in attitude. Uh, Jesse L. Lasky went to great lengths to avoid marketing the film as a war picture. By the film's release, however, Adolf Hitler had conquered much of Europe, and the public attitude towards war changed greatly, helping the film become one of the studio's biggest money makers of all time. Well, look at that. It's, when Gary you just don't know sometimes. Right? Yeah. When Gary Cooper won the Academy Award for his portrayal for his portrayal at the Academy ceremony in the spring of 1942. It was presented to him by James Stewart who was wearing his uniform as a lieutenant in the US Army Air Corps. So they they really went all out with this with the propaganda. No kidding. When this movie was made, America was not yet involved in World War II. At this time, a number of Hollywood studios were for American involvement in war. This This is one of a number of films during the late 1930s and early 40s that pushed America intervention in the war. These included A Yank in the RAF, Manhunt, Foreign Correspondent, The Mortal Storm, Confessions of a Nazi Spy. Yeah, uh, American politics around that time is really is really weird because no one really wanted to, you know, no one really wanted to think that Hitler was as bad as everyone was kind of making out and, you know, you have all of these you have all these big studios that are run primarily by Jewish people who are like who are like no, we need to do something. Like this guy's bad. Mhm.
0: Oh, no no it's not bad oh no he bad he bad yeah. he real bad yep he be the worst the worst so yeah but what are you good um it's in the past gotta put your past behind right
1: no it's you gotta put your behind in the past there you go That's tough. let's move on to suspicion
0: directed by alfred hitchcock written by samson ralphians Raphaelson joan harrison alma Reville, based on the book before the fact by france isles starring Cary grant and joan fontaine nominated for best picture and music this movie won best actress for fontaine story evolves around a shy young heiress who marries a charming gentleman, and, su- and, and she soon begins to suspect that he is planning to murder her. Um, I don't think that this is. Um, I don't think that it's Hitchcock's best. Um, interesting. But I. Um, uh, but I. It's great. Like I'm not I'm saying it's bad. Yeah. I yeah. just don't think it's not Psycho or Vertigo or you know like whatever. But or uh, Vertigo or North by Northwest. But it's it's pretty great because mm. I, I don't think I. I mean I've yet to really encounter a Hitchcock film I don't like. Um, he sits in my, he sits in my top ten directors, um, and I, uh, I enjoyed this one. I think a lot of it hinges on Joan Fontaine's performance because, like, That'd
1: really be crazy.
0: But well, yeah, but like, but she doesn't like it doesn't come from nowhere. Like, it, it's pretty subtle her transformation from like who she is on the train at the beginning of the movie to who she is in the car at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I like that. And the movie does a really good job at making you guess because Cary Grant is like so charming and. He... He's not typically the bad guy, mm-hmm. so you're like, "Well, he can't be the bad guy" because they're using Cary Grantness against you in the movie, which I really like. It's the same trick from um, uh, not exception, uh, Interstellar um, with Matt Damon. Like, you're like, "Oh, it's Matt Damon. He's fine. He can't be evil." Oh no, there he goes trying to kill everybody. Well, who would have thought, Matt Damon? You know, I don't recall
1: what, him what? trying to kill everybody.
0: Yeah, he tries to kill Cooper because
1: he's like, got to get off this planet. Well, yeah, you're in any event. Um, I I I agree. I disagree. I, I really like the movie. And in fact, I had missed the fact that it was an Alfred Hitchcock movie at the beginning of the movie. Oh. And by the end, I was like, wow, this really feels like an Alfred Hitchcock movie. <laughs> and then I was like directed by Alfred Hitchcock. I'm like, huh, well, that would explain why. Well, you nailed it there. That's good. Uh, while, while I agree with you, Fontaine's uh, acting in this and her transformation is very subtle and goes throughout the movie. I would disagree that it doesn't come out of nowhere because at no... <sighs> It, it's weird at no time did I really see like her point of view adding up
0: oh interesting okay like right. he, like
1: yeah he does but, some but stuff that, that is
0: supposed to be the point though that like it doesn't all add up like and r- right
1: but what I'm saying is like every time she's like he's gonna try and kill me or he's gonna try and kill this person or that person I'm like where are you getting these like threads from yeah there's some stuff that doesn't seem quite right about him that doesn't add up completely but it for me it was a little bit too far a leap in logic to go from he's a little shady to he's gonna start killing people sure sure and and you know and we're right like he does have some issues that he's trying to that he's trying to hide and solve on his own which is the kind of which is why she starts thinking this and and that's the disconnect between the two which is really it's a really good plot point but when you're looking at it from an objective third party point of view it's like huh you you really like Jumped off that cliff a yeah. little early, just a tad early. Yeah. yeah, but I think I think that's what I
0: like about it because um because because she jumps early, like you're like, well, I'm kind of with you, but I'm not with you, but I'm kind of with you, but I'm not with you, and so um I like that I the viewer kept guessing, even though I weirdly I when the ending of the movie happened, which I'll, I'll keep spoiler free, when the end of the movie happened, I was like, I've seen the end of this movie, I don't know why, but like like probably in at film car school. and everything, maybe maybe at film. School that I did
1: not attend, but um, yes, oh, film class, correct. That's better.
0: Yeah, uh, uh,
1: but I will say that that sequence, the end, like the entire ending sequence of them going for the drive at the end, is just so so well done.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's just enough that you are suspicious of both of them, and I think that's really what it comes down to. It's just suspicion, and so it's yeah. it's suspicion of her or her, I don't know, mental state versus his mindset, mm-hmm. uh, and so to give me some fun. Facts,
1: in interviews, Alfred Hitchcock said that an RKO executive ordered that all scenes which Carrie Grant appeared menacing be exercised from the movie. When cutting when the cutting was completed, the movie ran only 55 minutes. The scenes were later restored. Hitchcock said because he shot each piece of film so that there was only one way to edit them together properly. This is a technique called in-camera editing, a trick Hitchcock had already employed a year for during filming of Rebecca to prevent David. Selznick from interfering with the final cut of the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's so clever. Yeah. According to film historians, Felicia Feister, Carrie Grant's frustration with Alfred Hitchcock, stemmed from Hitchcock's attentive behavior towards leading lady Joan Fontaine. Grant felt that Hitchcock gave Fontaine preferential treatment to the detriment of his character. This behavior led to a lifelong bitter relationship between Grant and Fontaine, exacerbated by Fontaine's Academy Award success and Grant's perceived nub for this movie.
0: I mean, that's probably true, though, because it's, like, well-documented that he always gave his star starlets, I should say, especially, like, which, I mean, okay,
1: yeah. Like, yeah. like, like, come on, women have a hard enough time in Hollywood, let's, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, it was not really like that, it was, like,
0: not, it's funny because, like, it's not, like, he desired them in, like, a sexual way, but, like, he just liked the attention, I think, and he got yeah. it more from them than he did from his, from the
1: men, so, mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, at, at the milk scene, all the letters are dark, but the glass shines because Alfred Hitchcock put a light bulb inside the milk with a battery for enhancing the impression. Nice. Yep.
0: Nice. It's little things like that you just don't get. More. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Although I, I
0: hope we don't. Nobody walks over to that bottle of milk and is like, "Oh, some milk. Ah, a light bulb. <laughs> some glowing milk. I think I'll have some." Yeah. I think it can only be good. It means it's fresh. <laughs> All right. That was three, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Next up on our list, "Hold Back the Dawn," directed by Mitchell Lezon, written by Charles Brackett and Billy. Wilder, based on the story, memo to a movie producer by Kitty Fring, starring Charles Boyer, Olivia de Havilland, and Paulette Goddard. Nominated for Best Actress uh, for de Havilland, Best Picture, Writing, Cinematography for Black and White Film, Art Director for Black and White Film, and Music, this movie won no awards. The story revolves around uh, George Ikovsku, I can't remember, it's been too long. Yeah, sounds Um, about right. Stopped in Mexico by U.S. immigration, he hopes to get into the country by marrying a citizen. Um, I thought this movie was exorbitantly lavish in its production design, and that's where I really stopped caring.
1: I thought this movie was exorbitantly lavish in its production design, and that's where I started loving the movie.
0: Oh, tell me more.
1: I mean, also this is, like, she, Olivia de Havilland, plays the worst teacher in the history of field trips. This,
0: To be fair, this is one of the ones that I definitely watched at, like, the height of my fever, so I remember being like, wow, pretty room, and I don't remember much (laughs) else, so
1: you made on me. So she takes a a class on a trip to Mexico for reasons I don't honestly know yep, why. Okay, remember that it's coming back. Um, yep. And and I like there are times where like she just leaves like the bus breaks down, so she goes over to like the, the the repair shop to talk to them. But there are times where she's like, All right, you know, the oldest boy, she's like, You're in charge, make sure everyone stays here and whatnot. And then there are times that George is trying to woo her and she's like, I can't dare leave my class, and she's like, leaves the them two minutes later, it's like what? the, what, what the heck? What, you went out on a date. Where's the class? I just, yep. I don't
0: know. That's that's but, the way that that's the way that field yeah. trips worked back then. They do not yes. work that way
1: anymore. No, thank God for permission slips. No kidding. <laughs> um. So, but, but you know what? For a movie called like what was this? Like Hold Back the Dawn. Hold Back the Dawn. That, that title has nothing to do with this movie, and nothing. in fact, would completely color your perspective of what this movie is. This is a much more Light-hearted, mm-hmm. like like kind of romance-ish movie because he starts off with the force of intentions. Naturally, he falls for her and wants her, which I really like. And this also started the entire series of movies this year with needing an introduction into the story, whether it be like somebody giving you a talking introduction mm-hmm. or or a uh, scrolling writing introduction. But every yeah, mm-hmm. every movie in this in this series was. Introduced somehow into the main plot. I really like Olivia De Havilland in this. I thought uh, the person who played George also does really well. He's very likable, and it is it is a cute movie to watch. Difficult to find, although I think we know you couldn't even find it on YouTube. So uh, it is it is difficult to find. If you can track it down, great. But yeah, you know, I wouldn't say knock yourself out. It's not like it's not a masterpiece in cinema. But if you like kind of like the 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 mild rom com, especially for this era. It's, it's a pretty good watch. I,
0: I liked it enough to give it three point five out of five stars according to my according to my <laughs> notes.
1: That's when I stopped caring. Oh, three and a half stars. I'll be damned. Yeah. I remember <laughs> like I said, I remember it was
0: lavish and I remember it like oh. Was good, but that uh, the, everything you said was like fresh for
1: me in a lot of ways. Yeah, like, oh yeah,
0: that's right. There was a school field trip. That's
1: <laughs> right. She right. did right. leave those kids to fend for themselves, yeah. like it was, uh, like Hunger it was Games. that book. Yeah, no, that was the, the, of the yeah,
0: yeah. There we go. Which is uh, one of the kind of like for Games. the Hunger Games. Yeah, so, yeah. No, there, I know, but I was, still, I was on the right track. Uh, fun facts about hold. Oh, Hold Back the Dawn. It sounds like a war movie. That's what I wanted to say about that. it. Battle. Really does. It sounds like if we can hold them out for until dawn, then we'll win the war. Like, like that's what yep. that sounds like. It's whatever. That's okay. Yeah. Uh,
1: this marked the first time a pair of siblings were nominated for Academy Awards in the same category, with both Olivia De Havilland and her youngest sister Joan Fontaine making the cut for Best Actress. Fontaine won for her performance in Suspicion. This won't. Ha- this wouldn't happen again until 1966, when Vanessa Redgrave and Lynn Redgrave found themselves both competing for Best Actress, though in that instance neither won. Wow. Yeah, I did not know that Joan Fontaine and Olivia De Havilland were related that I can't believe you didn't know that they have the
0: same last name uh, yeah Fontaine and de Havilland you're right Yep, they're spelled the same the <laughs> number of syllables everything it's exactly the same
1: at around an hour and seven minutes George as he tells the tale said they entered a village called Colia or Colonia there is no listing for a place called Cololia in Mexico Colonia generally means neighborhood and applies to informal communities within towns and cities thus the village could not have been anywhere in Mexico <laughs> Well, there you have it. Billy Wilder is said to have quarreled bitterly with the famous agent Kurt Fringe over this film as the latter had arrived in the U.S. a few years before as a refugee from Hitler and had married the American writer Katie Fringet, Fringe whose story was the film's basis. Fringe felt that people might believe that he had married his wife opportunistically to ensure his being allowed to stay in America. Bosley Crother, in his review for the New York Times, wrote poignantly, we have heard that the story by Katie Fringe, on which Hold Back the Dawn is based, has an element of truth to it. This may very well be. I think what's funny about that is that
0: if he didn't raise a stink, nobody would know. Yeah. That's something that would be lost to the annals of history. Mm-hmm. And that would that would be that. That's funny. All right, moving on. Here comes Mr. Jordan, directed by Alexander Hall, written by Harry Siegel, Sidney Buckman, and In I. Miller, starring Robert Montgomery, James Gleason, and Claude Rain. Nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for Montgomery, Supporting Actor for Gleason director cinematographer for a black and white film how uh, movie one best writing for original story best and best screenplay so it got you know it got its uh, you know fun blitz so it was weird because there was best writing uh best screenplay and best original screenplay which is something different
1: so, so the best story the best original story and then the best way the words were put down on the page correct I would assume that <laughs> the sentence structure yeah. on this one perfect it's
0: great it's like a really fl- lies. No, not a period was missed in the whole thing. It was amazing. Um, Anyway, the uh, is about a, a boxer named Joe Pendleton who dies 50 years too soon due to a heavenly mistake and is given a new life as a millionaire playboy. Uh, and I thought this was the best version of Heaven Can Wait that we have seen yet, which is mm-hmm. funny because I think this might be the first one of the Heaven Can Wait type movie series when someone dies and Heaven's like, oh no, we'll just give you a new body, don't worry about it. And then they like learn about life and, and stuff again and they probably. Probably solve a murder and you know like all this yeah other things um I thought this movie was hilarious uh oh yeah it was it was like really top notch I like the other heaven can wait I like some of her like the the shoot what's name um Warren Beatty's was like just okay right Um, but then we watched another one that was good but I think this is the best one
1: right no doubt uh I I might agree with that I really enjoyed this one I I really liked Claude Rains as the head angel and the narrator from from uh Rocky and Bullwinkle's uh, Fractured Fairy Tales... as the as the subordinate and even then like James Gleason as as his trainer as the boxing trainer i thought uh was also did a, also a really good job uh which are right much funnier than the other two less weighty than than the others because while it involved him dying it didn't seem kind of well it really was that point
0: yeah it was more right?
1: it was more about
0: appreciating the life that you have even if it's your second one but yeah. i
1: wasn't super interested in
0: the death Self, which I appreciated. Mm-hmm. It was a lighthearted affair, as these things go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much all I have to say on it, though, because, like, it, it hinges on the writing and the cast delivering the, like, the script, but the script well, but everything else in the movie is just a movie.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's a formulaic movie that's, that's, everyone commits to their roles really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I would agree. All right. Give me some fun facts. James Gleason was mainly brought on board to polish the dialogue. Gleason had a knack for authentic sounding vernacular language, but also also happened to be a great actor. Columbia planned, oh, said okay. Yeah. Columbia planned to film a sequel to this picture entitled Hellbent for Mr. Jordan, but shelved the project until the original cast could be reassembled, and they're still waiting. <laughs> Robert Montgomery and his leading lady Evelyn Keyes did not get along in real life. He would rib her constantly about the fact that she was engaged in an affair with a married man. Nice. <laughs>
0: nice. Don't people have better things to do than poke fun at their co-workers' lives that have nothing to do with them? Uh, Not in the 40s. That true. people were not at business then, apparently. All right, moving on to Citizen Kane, directed by Orson Welles, written by Herman J. Mank- Mankiewicz, Orson Welles, and John Houseman, uh, starring Orson Welles, Joseph Cotton, Dorothy Cog... Uh, Cumming Moore, and Agnes Moorhead, which was exciting to me. I love Agmore. Um, Nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for Welles, Director, Cinematography for black-and-white film, Art Direction for a black-and-white film, Sound, Editing, and Music. This movie won Best Writing for Original Screenplay, play by Meg. Mm-hmm. The story follows, follows the death of the publishing tycoon Charles Foster Kane, as reporters scramble to uncover the meaning of the final utterance, Rosebud. Um, Citizen Kane is usually lauded as one of Hollywood's finest, um, and when you com- when you just compare it to these other movies that it was nominated again, mm-hmm. it's, like, staggeringly better than the rest of them, yeah. as a, just as a film. Like, it's just not even in the same league as the other movies that they made. And not to say that the ones that we watched are bad, we just went through a couple of them that we enjoyed very much but they're not on the same level as Citizen Kane it correct it's pretty extraordinary that this movie only won best writing
1: well that is because Hollywood hated him because yeah, of it
0: yeah because he made them all look bad
1: well but, no because of the because of the problems with the subject of the movie
0: well Charles Foster Kane is based on um, a very real person it's, it's not Pulitzer right it's, no Hearst. Uh, Hearst. yeah you're um, thinking in newsies thank you <laughs> um thank you. I'm thinking in newsies as this is great. Um. uh Yeah. So and so because Hearst was such a powerful figure, and because of and still movie, was at the time yeah, of the right and the in the power that he exerted over like the entertainment industry, like I can understand why this happened. But also, frick, this movie is good. Like it's
1: really it really good. is. Like it's it's such a critical darling that that there tends to be a a cloud that comes over like like really big cinematic critical darlings because it's usually like oh it's very niche or inaccessible to the normal person and the story in this I find is incredibly accessible and enjoyable because mm-hmm. I don't I don't typically really dig like the very like artsy movies but even I could like understand how the story is not only accessible but the way it's shot is just leaps and bounds better than anything yeah. at the time even against us even against uh, Alfred Hitchcock movie like alfred hitchcock's stuff in suspicion might be the closest thing to any competition that this movie has and even then it's pretty interesting like how much better this this is done yeah i agree I, like it, it this is a, a citizen kane
0: is a great example of when every single piece of your movie is firing on all cylinders but mm-hmm. there's not a missed opportunity from any section at any point um and so i mean a lot of Hus has been said about citizen kane yeah here already but but if you if you haven't watched it, in some ways, for the reason that Palmer has said that it's a critical darling, it's one of those like must see before you die movies. It really is like if you're at all interested in movies or interested enough to listen to a podcast about movies that, that came out in 1940 and 1941, I would recommend watching again.
1: Absolutely, I will say that this there's a lot of movies that you can that you can kind of see in other in other eras. And I was just as you were talking, I was thinking I don't know if this film ever works in color. No. I think the fact that it's in black and white is, you know, and granted, because of Orson Welles, everything's kind of designed with, with the black and white in mind, so that also helps, but I don't know if you if this would be nearly the technical marvel it could have been if it was in color.
0: Um, it, I mean, it very well could have been, but I think that I mean, Orson Welles was uh, smart and talented enough to, if he was going to shoot in color, this is how, ha- like, he would design it differently. Yeah. Um, not all movies are transferable that way, it doesn't, you know. it's like you can in some ways go backwards. Like you can watch a, a colored film in black and white, right? And then be like, yeah, it's fine. I'm watching it. Like it, it, it did have color, but uh, yeah. it's whatever. It, it's hard to go the other way because a black and white films are lit specifically for the shade of whites to blacks. Yeah, um, and you just can't you just can't replicate that
1: with with color. On your- yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, give me some what I assume will be tremendously good fun facts for citizens.
1: Oh, they are some of the best facts. Despite all the publicity, the film was a box office flop and was quickly co-signed to the RKO vault. At the 1941 Academy Awards, the film was booed every time one of its nine nominations was announced. It was only re-released to the public in the mid-50s. That's wild.
0: Like, it's really <laughs> so good. Like, people. According
1: to Ruth uh, Warwick, Orson Welles was not in good shape at the beginning of production. When principal photography began, Welles was suffering the effects of caffeine poisoning. As a result, of consuming 30 to 40 cups of coffee a day. Wells then switched to tea, figuring that the hassle of having to brew the beverage would naturally limit his intake, but Wells had somehow on call had someone on call to brew the tea for him, and within 2 weeks Wells was the color of tannic acid. It was also reported that he would go long periods without eating, then put away two or three large steaks and side items at one sitting. Wow. <laughs> How he lived past the age of, like, 40. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't... Ca- to have caffeine poisoning
0: is extraordinary. Like, because, like, caffeine is a poison for bugs. Like, that's where the, like, it comes from. It's, you know, so the plant fends itself again. bug. the amount of coffee you actually have to consume to be affected by caffeine in that way...
1: 30 makes... to 40 cups a day. Yeah, but then you have
0: to do that for an extended period of time. I don't have, have so 30 to
1: 40 him. cups of anything in a week. I don't. I know. I've been meaning to tell you 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 really need to drink water. (laughs) (laughs) Ah. In the 1970s, film critic Pauline Kael wrote an essay called Raising Cain. In it, she credited co-screenwriter Herman Mankiewicz for writing the entire script for this film, while alleging that Orson Welles didn't write one line of shooting script. However, this conclusion has very little factual basis, and was largely based on hearsay. Kael, for her part, tried to distance herself from the controversy later in life, insisting that the whole issue had been blown out of portion, and that her essay, written as an introduction to a published copy of the Kane screenplay, was taken out of context. Subsequent writers examined internal studio memos, telegrams, and drafts enough to conclude that both Wells and Mankiewicz had contributed significantly to the final script, though Wells had at one point tried to bribe Mankowitz into ceding his credit to Wells. Mankowitz, son of Herman J. Mankwitz, maintained that Wells' effort resulted more from anxiety than greed as his contract stipulated that he would direct, produce, act, and write the film. Wells feared RKO would refuse to pay him in full. The final consensus among critics holds that the shooting script was actually based on an idea conjured by the two men and that the initial draft by Mankiewicz was heavily altered by Wells. Both men continued to contribute to the script throughout the shooting, combining their work into the final version. Hmm. And yet, apparently, only Mankiewicz got an Academy Award for it. Yep, just
0: Hollywood's a weird place, man. It's yeah. a weird place. it's a really weird place. All right. That was 3, right? Yeah. Yeah, good fact. All right, moving on. Blossoms in the Dust, directed by Mervin LeRoy, written by Anita Loos, Ralph Wheelwright, and Hugo Butler, starring Greer Garson, Walter Pigeon, Felix Bressart uh, and Marsha Hunt, nominated for Best Picture, Actress for Gar- uh, Art, Actress for Garson and Cinematography for a Film in Color. 1, Best Art Direction for a Film in Color. Story revolves around after losing her young son, Edna Gladney opposes the unfair laws discriminating <sighs> against children. Uh, whose parents are unknown and opens an orphanage for those children. Uh, the o oh, is exactly what I said when I was looking at the title, go, what was this movie? And then I remembered. <laughs> oh yes, it was the slightly disjointed, but in some ways completely serviceable movie about a woman trying to get over her grief by opening an orphanage. It could have been very powerful. Instead, it was just a movie.
1: <sighs> yeah, I don't... <sighs> It's weird because it's based on a true story and it takes place in Texas, which, you know, as depending upon what side of the political coin you're on, um, Texas is either the bastion of freedom or one of the worst states you could possibly live in. And and this kind of goes to show like that's kind of always been Texas because just Texas, baby, because, you know, she's her her mission in this is very pure and needed because you're the write up of the film or the summary of the film not necessarily your summary of the film I but the, the summary, of, summary
0: of the film yeah. the summary of the
1: film in general doesn't doesn't give this plot line the weightiness it kind of deserves because her, she comes from a family in which she had a foster sister her parents adopted someone and her sister committed suicide because she was going to marry this guy and her parents kind of forbade it after it came to light that she was adopted because there was such a stigma about adopted children that they were looked down upon in like polite society Hmm. and that is insane to me that it's not all that long ago because the movie takes place right around the turn of the century maybe a little bit later but they have cars so it's not like it's we're not talking like the 1700s here or even early 1800s we're talking at the time of this movie being made less than 50 years ago mm-hmm. give or take probably yep and it just boggles the mind that it was like that that like soon in the past that people were really heavily stigmatized because they were adopted yep Go ahead. yeah no I, I don't have any i i agree
0: with you i don't have anything to add but th- i think my everything you said doesn't really come across in the movie the way that it should i, I, I it did, it did not leave and it did not leave an impact on me the way that i think the story demand it should
1: i will say that i don't particularly remember i remember her fight in the movie and she does it all like it, it's like every every time she has to do something else and uh, to kind of progress the not necessarily the uh, like the, the rights i think of of adopted kids mm-hmm. going and so she has such a big impact on these on these laws like she personally lobbied. She went to Washington to help lobby political uh, political people heavily, mm-hmm. and. Like, she does does a lot, and I just don't know if there's a way to, to accurately convey what she does in a, in a better version. I think this movie probably does the best it can, and it might just be one of those things where, like, it's better in a history book than it is on in a moving page. Because I, really, I don't really care about the kids that she—like, she helped find homes for, for hundreds of adopted people, of adopted kids. So she you know, she is a saint, but it's not really a compelling movie.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. I am I'm a hundred I'm a hundred percent with you there. So yeah. but I have nothing further to add. So if you'd be so kind back. The,
1: the child who portrayed Tony in the movie was a four-year-old named Pat Barker. It was only when Pat came to Fort Worth to celebrate the movie's premiere that the world discovered Pat was actually Patricia. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Theresa Harris who plays Cleo is clearly wearing a pronounced coat of blackface over her own skin color. It was felt that Harris nature natural tone photographed too light. This was likely due to the influence of gone with the Wilm wind filmed only two years previously. And the only film up to that time that featured a significant amount of African-American actors photographed in technicolor, all particularly dark-skinned, with the color photography just beginning to gain a level of polish and sophistication, there was there were precious few times to use as research and black pop- population featured in Gone with the Wind served as a template for the makers of Blossoms in the Dust. So the person that, that played the African-American was actually African-American, they just just felt the skin tone might have come off too light, and maybe I mean, maybe like someone would think like, oh, they're not really casting black well, that's, people.
0: That's in some ways understandable because like everybody's skin reacts differently to lighting, So right. And and how it all needs to interact on screen together. So that does not feel. I mean, that's not nearly as bad as blackface. Like
1: right, and it actually the the fun fact actually used blackface in quotes. So uh, like yeah, they're 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 darkening the skin, So technically, it is blackface. but it's more of just heavy makeup. Yeah, okay. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I can can get behind that reasoning.
1: Yeah. The film took several interesting liberties with the truth. While Edna Glandy was, in fact, initially engaged to another man, she was already living in Texas when she met Sam Gladney there. The character of Charlotte was essentially fictional. While Edna did have a younger half-sister named Dorothy, it was Gladney herself who suffered societal slings and arrows as an illegitimate child and it was her own background rather than her sister's or the death of a child that motivated her to devote herself to the plight of unwanted children. Gladly never had children of her own. You know what? After that one, screw it. The entire movie's a lie. (laughs) I I take back every good thing I said about it. Well, what a wonderful
0: (laughs) group of facts then, wasn't
1: it? (laughs) All right, let's move on,
0: shall we? To One Foot in Heaven, directed by Irving Rapper, written by Casey Robinson, based on the book by Hartzell Spence, starring Frederick Martin and Martha Scott this movie was nominated for best picture but it won no awards um with this many movies nominated i always question the like you just best picture but nothing like why are you nominated then like <laughs> You could have saved me time. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um this is an episodic look at the life of a minister and his family as they move from one pair to another across continental United States. Um, I very much enjoyed this movie. I found it strangely I found it strangely enjoyable. I found the family like likable and like there wasn't any real funny business. It was just like good people trying to be good and so I I enjoyed that. Like at the end of it, I was like, Well, I you know, it didn't like, you know, send me to the moon or anything like that, but like I watch good people being good, and sometimes you just need that. And I found the slight spoilers for the movie, but like I found the end when he's playing the organ and everybody in town kind of comes out um, and is singing to the church bells. I was like, that's quite moving. That's that's nice because that's kind of what he was just like working towards his whole life, and it just like he saw an actual bit of fruition there, and that was just nice to see. And like, it's, it's like I can see why it wasn't nominated for anything else because like you leave and you're like, that was a movie that I saw. I enjoyed uh-huh. it. The end didn't do anything ultra special. It's just well made. And the end and that's that's kind of how I feel about it what about you
1: yeah it's it's the very definition of fine for me Uh, I could I can see people liking it more than I did I really can't see anyone disliking the movie like I can't see anything being being not necessarily good in the movie it's just there never seems to be like any real crux for the movie to kind of fix until you get like a little spat like two thirds of the way in with him trying to build the new church and then having issues with some of the some of the big donors of the church but other than that like like, everything is just kind of smooth sailing.
0: I mean it is and it isn't. So like their first the first stopover, it's more about like the like characters coming to terms with the life that they're going to lead, especially his wife, right? Who came mm-hmm. from an affluent family and decided like, you know, I'll go where you go, you know, quotes book Ruth, you know, I'll go where go be where be where you are, all that stuff. Um and and so it's 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 a mix between being a character piece and being um and, and be and having external conflict internal and external conflicts. And I see what you mean. Like it depends on the episode of their lives that, like, it depends like, where the conflict ends up being. So I can understand saying, like, it's not tons of external conflicts, but I enjoyed the internal ones because, like, when when the internal ones stop, that's when the external one kind of took over where they started feeling, in some way started feeling sorry for themselves or whatever, and then kind of picked up themselves by the draft, kept forward, tackled bigger things. So, I don't know. I liked it. Yeah, yeah. it was it was fun. Fun facts.
1: Uh, okay. So, the movie has a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes based on eight critic reviews. William S. Hart was the guest of honor at the Hollywood premiere of this movie, since his movie, The Silent Man, figures prominently in the plot. Okay. And Olivia de Havilland was slated to co-star with Frederick March, but was reassigned to the They Died With Their Boots On. Well, there you have it. Those yeah. are
0: some of the lamest fun fact for a movie that exists. Yeah. Ever <laughs> it, it fits the movie, really. It <laughs> sure does, yeah. Next up, The Maltese Falcon, directed by John Huston, written by John Huston, based on the novel by Dashiell Hammett um, starring Humphrey Bogart Mary Astor Gladys George Peter Lorre and Sidney Greenstreet nominated for best pictures supporting Act for Greenstreet best writing this movie won no awards uh, it is uh, takes place in San Francisco about a private detective named Sam Spade who takes a case that involves him with three eccentric criminals a gorgeous liar and their quest for the priceless statue with the stakes rising after his partner murdered um, I've never seen The Maltese Falcon was it one of the, the best uh, quality crime noir stories out there and I quite enjoyed it. I thought it kind of lived up to the hype of being quality noir. Um, I don't like. It's just again, I can also understand why it was why it didn't win anything. Where I say like, yes, oh. but, like Cindy Green Street was great. The writing is good. Everybody's good, but like, is it the best? I like, is it the best movie that's made? No, but I think it is one of the best or one of the better classic noirs that ha- that has ever existed.
1: And Lisa is going to be upset with you for saying that you understand why it didn't win. Well, I mean, in conjunction with some of
0: the other movies movies that have been that are nominated on this list yeah i can understand why well i mean it didn't win but citizen kane didn't win but like if, <laughs> if it was if it was this or how green was my valley i'd be like why the hell didn't citizen uh, why didn't like Maltese falcon win if it was between yeah. this and citizen kane i understand why it did not win against citizen kane.
1: uh i i did enjoy this movie i like you i would never watched it before i definitely love it uh i really like humphrey bogart i think he does really well in this he's very humphrey bogarty in this movie he sure is uh um It reminded me a little of Chinatown mm-hmm. in the way of like you really can't trust can't you really trust can't anybody. trust right the characters in this movie um, I felt it might have been a and this is more of like an issue with the story it was a little too twisty turny mm-hmm. than it needed to be like I think it could have I think it could have been a little bit more straightforward in its, in its plotting and not necessarily been worse for wear uh, but that being it's really good noir film uh, it reminded there was a movie kind of similar that we covered and I can never I couldn't for the life of me remember the movie but it reminded me a bit of a movie that we covered like maybe last episode even or last season and which it's like the same kind of setup happens of this guy's partner gets killed and he was he was kind of involved with the person's wife which is a throwaway plot point at the beginning of this movie that I think is unnecessary-ish like I understand why it's there need reasons for the police to kind of hassle him about possibly killing his partner but the police also never believed that he killed him <laughs> so it's like why why did you have to go through that?
0: Was that movie um, that you were speaking of was that a um, Humphrey Bogart movie? I don't believe it was. Oh, okay. Because there's, I'm sure there was a Humphrey Bogart movie where um, there was like, remember there was like uh, kids and but the the whole thing was a the whole thing was a, a set on the dock. Oh yeah, no no
1: no 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 no. Oh, okay. no, That where he plays a gangster. No no no. Yeah yeah yeah. That's I can't remember the name of that one either. No, that was that was a few seasons ago. No, I'm talking about it was it was much more recent. It was it was definitely like last season. But that's neither here than it. But that's like one of the details in. This movie that is kind of throwaway and makes you wonder why it's there, but yeah, yeah,
0: I yeah, I I can understand what you mean. Where it like I was ready for it to be over when it was time to be over, like mm-hmm. I, yeah, and so I do get that. But I wasn't sure if that was me being sick and watching these movies in a short amount of time, or if that was the movie itself. So I gave the movie the benefit of doubt. I do think that Sydney Greenstreet was very good in it. Like, he's oh, he's man. awesome. I I love yeah, him. Yeah, I can I absolutely understand where that nomination came from. So that was fun. Um,
1: great. <laughs> you know what it is this movie has a lot of long not necessarily long but has a lot of character monologues Mm -hmm. like a lot of the scenes isn't necessarily like actual talking between people it's people talking in monologues and then somebody else talking in monologues and that can have a tendency to to really kind of grind the time and how long it feels i
0: agree i think one of the only ones that uh, didn't uh there was a scene between bogart and Laurie, you know, like where the you know, like uh, where he like knocks him out. And yeah, like I think that was like one of the ones that like doesn't um, doesn't play like that. But I do know what you mean. Yeah. Also good for Mary Astor for jumping from um, silent film to talkies. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Proud of her. Warner Brothers planned to change the name of the film to The Gent from Frisco because the novel's title had already been used for The Maltese Falk in 1931. The studio eventually agreed to keep the original title at John Huston's insistence instance. Sam Spade refers to Wilmer as a gunzel, a term the censors assumed was a reference to a gunman. The Yiddish term gunzel, literally little goose, may indeed be a vulgarism for homosexual. The word phagel or little bird is usually used in that respect, but it's more commonly an underground term that refers to a person who is either a fall guy or a stool pigeon, in which case Spade is making both a direct and indirect reference to Wilmer's Character. Hmm. For decades, this film could not be legally shown on U.S. television stations because of its underlining suggestions of illicit sexual activity among the characters, i.e., O'Shaughnessy's promiscuity indications that joel cairo was a homosexual that's okay yeah yeah (laughs) joe cairo might be a homosexual really why do you think that look at him listen to him peter laurie yeah oh my gosh like that like i i understand like the the theory behind like he might be but at the same time i'm like there's nothing that even remotely comes over to that except just the way peter laurie like Laurie does his yeah. yeah Peter Peter Laurie does his Laurie yeah uh well, yeah.
0: um, oh, Laurie he's wonderful <laughs> you ever see that movie M. yeah yeah he great um all right that was three right that was we got two more movies two more movies the little foxes directed by William Wyler written by Lillian Hillman, Arthur Cober and Dorothy Parker I would like to point out that a lot of these movies were in by women and I found that was quite interesting because it's the middle for the, of the time war. frame yeah because the middle of the war yeah. so yeah. it's yeah it's women at work and I I think that the perspectives in these
1: movies were yeah. Quite they were playing baseball like. and
0: writing movies. Yeah, good time. Um, uh, Lillian Hellman, Arthur uh, Arthur Cobra, and Dorothy Parker. Starring Betty Davis, Herbert Marshall, Teresa Wright, and Patricia Collins. Nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actresses for Wright and Collins. Director, writing, art direction, editing, and music. It didn't win a single thing. It's
1: understandable.
0: The movie itself is about a ruthless, moneyed Hubbard. The Hubbard clan who lives in and poisons their part of the Deep South, the turn of the 20th century. Um, I don't
1: remember anything about this movie
0: I wrote I found it dull but I can see why people like it and that's all I've got to go on
1: man I was really this is the one like this was the one I was hoping you were going to be able to carry because I remember even less than you did I it took me four attempts to get through this movie and not necessarily like I kept pausing it or stopping it because it was bad it was I kept zoning out and got towards the end of the movie Movie and I realize I have no idea What happened at all
0: Alright great well then I think we just say that Don't watch it because neither of us Remember it for different reasons And give me some fun facts
1: According to Samuel Goldwyn Jr The reason Jack L. Warner loaned Betty Davis To RKO for the movie was to settle A $300,000 gambling debt Warner had with Goldwyn It has been said that all studio moguls uh, Warner, Goldwyn, Cohen, Mayer Zanuck and Lamal Would gather and play cards after work after having stabbed each other in the back during the day. Herbert Marshall had lost a leg in World War I. The scene where Horace crawls up the stairs was done by a stuntman. Marshall took the role until he walks towards the stairs, but is hidden by a curtain for a moment. That was where the switch was done. I
0: have zero recollect of that.
1: Yep. Betty Davis had legendary makeup artist Perk Westmore devise a white mask-like effect for her face to emphasize Regina's coldness. William Wyler hated it, likening it to a kabuki mask. Well, and okay. it's very noticeable.
0: Yeah, I was looking at pictures and I was like, "Ooh, man, there yep. she is." Interesting All that right. William Wyler hated it, but he like let it happen anyway.
1: I mean, she was the star of the movie and I would say she's probably a bigger star than than he than is, Wyler so it's like a yeah. Time.
0: yeah. Yeah, she, yeah, Betty Davis, she was like it. Yeah, so. Yep. Well, kid jokey then. Move Someone... let's get to that
1: Green Valley.
0: Green Valley, otherwise known as How Green Was My Valley, directed by John Ford, written by Philip Dunn based on the novel by Richard Llewellyn Starring Walt Pigeon, Maureen O'Hara, Donald Crisp, and Sarah Allgood, nominated for supporting act for Allgood, best writing, sound editing, and music. This movie won best picture, supporting actor for Crisp, director, cinematography for black and white film, art Director for a black and white film. It is a. Uh, it takes place at the turn of the century in a Welsh Welsh mining village. The Morgans, uh, he stern, she gentle, raise coal mining sons and hope their youngest will find a better life. Um, this movie was depressing. It sure was, and I, and I think, I don't want to say that that's why it wins but like i didn't find it particularly special but i do think that if you're watching it in in the context of like life is really hard right now and i connect with what's happening in this town because of what's happening in my life i can mm-hmm. kind of understand or what's happening in the country or the world cuz the war or whatever i can i can understand the like gravit like gravitating toward this movie to you know kind of all yeah. over it yeah i guess
1: um <laughs> this is like the second movie though this year where it's like a disconnect between the title and the story like it's just weird and at least in this one like they actually say the title he's like ah how green was my valley I'm like you just that doesn't make any sense why are you're saying that sure, sure, uh, the boxer in this movie great like that guy should have won all the awards mm-hmm. he should have won like best artist best singer songwriter best director he should have won all the awards uh that being said this is just it's a heavy movie. It's kind of depressing you're right it's very of the time although I think this this would make more sense to like during the depression a few years prior yep I agree I think uh like obviously the depression like had just ended so yeah. like I think it it's like still, last
0: week right so it still like was resonating with people and so mm-hmm. people were still suffering so I think that's like even though it's not the heyday of it you know because they're in the middle yeah. of the war but still
1: and then and then somehow like somehow the the box becomes blind. I don't know. That's all I got.
0: Yep. Yeah. All right. That's, yeah, You. you that's about where I was too. And yeah. Part of that is because, like I said at the beginning of the episode that, like, we watched these a little while ago, so they're not as fresh in my brain, but it just yep. did not leave an impact the way that John Ford movies usually do, so I was a disappointed. Yeah. Uh,
1: but, uh,
0: give me some fun facts for the Valley.
1: Sarah Allgood was the only actor who gave John Ford any trouble. At one point, she complained that a scene where they were about to shoot wouldn't play. Ford called Writer Philip Dune to the set and relayed her opinion to him. Having worked with Ford before, Dune know, knew what to do. He ripped the scene out of the script and said, Now it plays. Then Ford turned to, to All Good and said, The son of a bitching writer won't do anything to help us, so we'll have to shoot it the way he wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> The mining village was set was cost about 110,000 to construct and was modeled on the towns of Curdkean and Clydach. Wow, I'm not even going <laughs> to two towns in Ireland. The, well, it no, uh I think you mean Wales because it's sure. in Wales. Don't confuse them. That's very rude. Huh? do don't confuse them. That's rude. It's its own country. Is it? Yes, All right. right. I don't Look, it's Europe. I'm an American. Oh my god. Europe? Europe is England, France, Germany. What happened to you? Ah, uh, why are you well, the way that you are? i'm i'm uh, ugly is pretty much it the studio (laughs) brought in blocks of coal weighing over a ton apiece for the construction of the mines to create the impression that the that coal slag covered the landscape in the opening and closing scenes. John Ford had the hillside painted black. Lovely. Kyfarther's final line, "'Tis a coward I am, but I will hold your coat," was added by John Ford over the objection of the screenwriter. Okay, well,
0: in that just a fun fact to take us out. Now, Palmer, before we do the 1942 rewindies, if you want to mm-hmm. get those listed in your brain a little bit. I, I already do. T- uh, excellent. I will tell the people where they can find us, which is at uh, Gmail on Academy Rewind, which we do not check. Don't bother look. Don't bother emailing us. Um, Twitter, you can follow Palmer at Academy Rewind. You can follow me at at Timmy13 on Twitter. Um, You can go to AcademyRewind.com to check out all past episodes. Go to ThoughtBubbleAudio.com. Check out all other ThoughtBubble audio shows. Patreon.com support all ThoughtBubble audio programs. Palmer, are you ready to do the 1942 Rewindies? Absolutely. We're going to go through every category. We can only choose the movies that have been nominated in this round. We're going to start with supporting actor I'm going to give to Sydney Greenstreet for the Maltese Falcon
1: I am going to give it to Sydney Greenstreet for the Maltese Falcon.
0: Excellent. Supporting actress I'm going to give to Sarah Allgood for How Green Was My Valley because I like that she gave John Ford a problem
1: (laughs) Um uh, yeah cuz the other the other women the other women in the movies tend to be like the the main actress. Yeah,
0: they're either leads or not even enough of a role to be supporting actress. Yeah, I yeah. ran into that problem too. But um production design I give to Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. Costume design I give to Citizen Kane. Uh I'll give it to the Maltese Falcon Um makeup and hairstyling I give to Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. Music I give to Citizen Kane, though truthfully, I do not remember the music from any of these movies so it was really just a default choice. <laughs> Maltese Falcon. Maltese Falcon. Visual effects, I give to Sergeant York.
1: Uh, I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with Suspicion. Suspicion. Good choice. Um, Cinematography, I give to Citizen Kane. I'm going to give it to Citizen Kane. Suspicion is close, just because of that car scene. Mm -hmm. But I'm also. But that's why I kind of gave it special effects, because while it's technically camera tricks, Mm -hmm. it's the special effects that the camera trick kind of does. So, well,
0: you could make an argument that it's editing too. Yeah. Um, And so uh, I'm going to give it. To, um, my editing goes to Citizen Kane, um, just because of the way that the its Formatted Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. But I do think there's a great there's a great argument for a few of these movies for best editing. Yeah, um, but uh, but I would
1: also say Citizen Kane, yeah, for editing.
0: Um, sound I'm giving to Sergeant York because they go with the visual effects. I eh? uh, suspicion suspicion uh, actor I give to Orson Welles for Citizen Kane. Yeah. Yeah, he's – like, th- there are a lot of very good people in this. I think, like, uh, in in all of these movies, I mean uh, – um, what's his name? Um, Gary Cooper wins for Sergeant York, but I didn't find him oh, definitely more not. or less Gary Cooper-y than he is in many things. Yeah. Uh, and so – and everybody yeah, else no. – so, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. Definitely Orson Will. Yeah. Um, actress, I give to Joan Fontaine for suspicion. Yes. Um, writing, I'm going to give uh, – Oh, choice, that was not expected, I'm going to give it to Here Comes Mr. Jordan. Because, <laughs> because, Citizen Kane has what? Truthfully, Citizen Kane is a better written movie, but I enjoyed watching Here Comes the Sun more. It's just well written, and so I'm gonna give I'm gonna it. I give to it there. to Maltese Falcon. Sure, cool. Um, director, I give to Orson Welles. Orson Welles. And Best Picture, I give to How Green Was My Valley. No, to <laughs> Citizen Kane. Yes, Citizen Kane. <laughs> Wonderful. We've solved the problem. He actually got the awards now. Hooray! We did it, everyone. Citizen Kane. What a marvelous. Movie. Up next, the 1932 Academy Rewind. It is as follows: Grand Hotel, Five Star, Final, The Smiling Lieutenant, One Hour with You, The Champ, Shanghai Express, Bad Girl, and Aerosmith. You know all those famous movies that everyone still remembers and loves.
1: I I swear to God, if One Hour with You is more than one hour, you are going to hear about it nonstop. It's gonna be because I I think I looked it up, and a lot of these movies are over two hours. Oh sweet, yeah,
0: great, yeah. So that's it on Academy Rewind, which is good because they are playing us off.
1: No, I have some more people to thank. Oh, too bad. Bye. Bye.